Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. After all, I knew it had to be something to do with you. I really don't mind what happens now and then. As long as you'll be my friend at the end. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? If I'm alive, then will Welcome, everybody. Bob Starr for joining you in the city's, uh, well, yeah, 630 Chad Studios. Yes, back in town indeed. Bradley Kirk Arnold from Three Doors Down turning 44 today. Great voice. Um, we're going to roll out the extra on the show today with uh, Here Without You, which is a fantastic song. This is Oilers Now with a new title sponsor after 10 years, Digitex. Um, just want to put a special shout out to all the people involved in that, Hugh Porter and the staff, and we welcome aboard World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. And speaking about daily, from daily face-off coming up today at 1235, Frank Saravalli will uh, be joining us with his uns, uh, insight in terms of what's going on around the league. And uh, at 105 today, Edmonton Oilers Assistant General Manager Pro Scouting Brad Holland will be on today's show. We'll also have lots of time for you to jump aboard. You can text us, as always, on the Ashley Pine Floors text line, 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, or head to ashleyfinefloors.com for more information. And we will uh, be squeezing in a little bit of time on the... uh, phone lines as well on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline, 780-496-0063. Stay charged up this fall. Bring your player's cup card to the venue and get a free River Cree portable charger. For more information, head to rivercreeresort.com. The Edmonton Oilers, uh, interesting day yesterday, was down at uh, the DCA Downtown Community Arena uh, for a early uh, run-through for the Oilers team that ultimately traveled to Seattle to take on the Kraken in the second of a back-to-back. It was, to be frank with you, what it was. Uh, An undermanned Oilers squad of six uh, guys that will probably be on the NHL team, including only one top-nine forward and maybe one, possibly two, uh, top-six defensemen, fourth and fifth organizational goaltenders. In Seattle against a Kraken squad that had 12 regulars in the lineup, they won 3-0, didn't mind the effort uh, from the uh, Edmonton Oilers in that game, but there wasn't a lot of guys that really uh, shone. It was, uh, we basically left Edmonton at 3 o'clock, uh, went straight to the arena once we landed, and uh, and then flew back, and I think I got into the the homestead at around uh, 2.30 uh, a.m. last night. So all good. Away we go. And the Oilers uh, have a uh, CBA-mandated off day. Imagine that during training camp. I mean, there's some old-school guys right now that will be thinking, what? 
They're not down there for six or seven hours. No, that's not how it works anymore. So the players are not on the ice today. Tomorrow, uh, the Oilers uh, will have a game in Winnipeg. I'll host the first 90 minutes of the show and then hop on the bird and fly with Cam Moon. He'll have the call. Jack Michaels was providing it uh, last night. Uh, the Oilers uh, did make some moves. We'll get to that momentarily, but not before we do a quick audio recap of last night's game for Direct Workwear. Proud to offer on-site Seamster services in embroidery. Get your workwear and have it uh, customized all in one trip. Uh, so we'll do a, the the recap. We'll get to a couple clips from Jay Whitcroft, and uh, and then we'll talk about some of the news of the day with the Oilers, and then we're going to hit on a couple other topics here in the first 20 minutes of the show. Without further ado, Jack Michaels uh, was on the call last night. Teams with inverse records a year ago collide tonight in Game 2 of the NHL preseason. Punch down the middle. Esposito in on the forecheck against Rafferty. Taken away by Seth Griffith. Back to the point. Shot squeezed through. Peters will see it waved off, however. It bounced off Jones and through, but there was contact with the Seattle goaltender, and it's going to be taken off the board here. It's been a while since, since a lot of us have played a game, and uh, there's a lot of excitement, a bit of jitters, and yeah, it's just getting getting the good habits back and, and also enjoying the fact that we get to get going and compete again. It's been fun. The last 10 holes coming for the Kraken, and Hamill just got targeted right in the head. That was a headshot. And, you know, in talking with the NHL, We've seen the headshots steadily decrease over the last several years, but Noah Hamblin was drilled right in the head, and he's slow to rise. That was an ugly hit. It might be a major penalty here. And I think Jacob Melanson has seen his last action of the night. A shot blistered into the waiting glove of Martin Jones. He'll shoot it down the left-hand side and find Donato. Heading for the net. Donato circles. Wraparound scores. during the break had taken over for Martin Jones and fired a dart up the left-hand side that Ryan Donato fielded, used a little change of pace for separation, used the net to protect the puck and wrapped it around and behind Fanti. Here's a puck that eluded Yanmark, shorthanded Tanev. What timer scored off the the draw. It's ripped by Kesselring just wide. Kesselring earlier hit a post. The Oilers also had a goal disallowed and Vertanen missed on a point blank look in the slot. The court makes a save on Yanmark and that will be all as the puck trickles away. Right, so uh, Seattle wins 3 nothing. A couple things happened in that game last night. There was a goal waved off that Noah Philp had deflected home. Comedy of errors. Uh, here's the deal. Not every game has video uh, review in the preseason, and I got this directly. I'm not going to say who I got it through, but this is out of the actual video room. Uh, but what ended up happening is the Oilers had a communication error between, uh, and they've got a very good... Um, an, an excellent video guy, Jeremy Kupal, who's had a rock-solid record over the last several years, but he cannot communicate with Jay Woodcroft. So I believe they use, like, headset-slash-walkie-talkie type pieces, and the building in Seattle, the Climate Pledge Arena, is built downward, right? They dug out, like, I don't know, uh, 80 to 100 feet into the catacombs of the facility, and so the dressing rooms are obviously like four, uh, 
maybe four floors below street street level or something like that. And so they could not communicate to Jay Woodcroft on the play. So there was actual video review as an option, but the problem was they couldn't. So Jay was trying to buy some time, and then they ended up going to break for a commercial break, and I guess it was too late or whatever. Uh, I did find out that the uh, guys in the uh, war room uh, would have would have suggested that it would have been a good goal. So uh, whatever, it's a preseason game. In the NFL, if one heads, if the you know from the spotters boxes or basically any level of football, if the home team spotter boxes uh, headsets are working, but the visiting teams are not, then the home team don't get to use their headsets either. That's just that's kind of how it works. So that goal didn't count. I, I think the effort was there for the most part from the Oilers players. They just simply didn't have enough skill going. Here's Jay Woodcroft's assessment of the three nothing loss last night. Yeah, I thought it was a real competitive game. Um, you know, uh, it was penalty filled, so in both ways. And uh, but I thought uh, our team came and you know worked their tails off and gave us a chance to to try and win a road game here. I looked up at the end of the second period. I think we gave up ten shots against or so, something like that. And so I saw a lot of really good things in our team game. Penalty kill was excellent again. You know, uh, killed off another five on three uh, against a really good power play that was zipping it around. But I thought we did some good things there. Thought some of our younger players got good experience, uh, lots of ice time, and um, you know we we stuck with it right to the last uh, last second. Um, so, but we didn't get the result we wanted. Uh, a lot of positive signs. All right, Reed Schaefer played last night in Seattle, stayed in Seattle. He's going to join the Thunderbirds. He was signed there today. Uh, That is part of our top story, which is brought to you on a daily basis by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Whether it's heating or cooling you need, get it with no payments and no interest for a year. That's how you build a Legacy, Legacy Heating and Cooling. So uh, two guys that played last night, Reed Schaefer and uh, Max Warner, defenseman out of Moose Jaw, have both been reassigned. It had to have been, I would think, I mean, th- put yourself in Schaefer's shoes. I mean, he had his clothes with him. He was <laughs> like, he knew he was staying in Seattle after the game. Uh, but anyhow, Schaefer had this to say in his NHL camp experience. I think uh, camp's gone gone well. Obviously, just soaking in all the knowledge, just what it takes to be a pro, just taking care of your body, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome just to you know see what the guys are like and, and be around them. It's been awesome. Uh, very exciting, obviously. Uh, to play two preseason NHL games, that's pretty special. They're, they're ones to remember. So, uh, you know, just got to keep developing, go back to Seattle this year and, and have a big year and hopefully win a WHL championship and then just come back next year and uh, obviously keep improving myself and, you know, proving prove myself that I, I, I can be here. Jay Woodcroft, Oilers head coach, meanwhile, added some additional thoughts on Shaver. I think Reed Schaefer is going to be a really good Edmonton Oiler uh, one day. And uh, he's someone who, um, obviously, he has some natural gifts. He's a big man. He shoots the puck very well. He skates well for a big man. He's in great shape. I think he's left a real positive impression on the management and coaching staff and probably, most importantly, on his future teammates. Um, So I think he's had a really good camp. Uh, There's been some learning moments for him, and that's all part of it when you go to your first NHL camp. camp and I thought uh, as I said I think he's left a really good impression here uh, and for him to to play a, an exhibition game in his home 
or in the, not his home city, but where he plays his junior hockey, I think I'm sure he was pumped up and uh, excited about that. All right. So from my perspective, in full disclosure, if you were listening to the show uh, weeks out in advance, even during the course of the WHL Championship Series, we were talking Schaefer up quite a bit. I was elated. Edmonton got him late in the first round. He was a different type of player than the Oilers had. At six foot three, you know, he's probably going to play at two hundred and fifteen to two hundred and twenty pounds. He has a mean streak. Uh, he's also been a bit of a late bloomer, and you know, his second year in the WHL is terrific. Thirty-two goals, eighty-eight pims. Now, some of you don't care about pims. Some of you think it's irrelevant. Uh, I hey, we're all allowed to have our opinions, aren't we? Like, are we allowed to still have opinions these days? Um, anyhow, uh, I think this guy will be far more noticeable at next year's rookie tournament in Penticton and have a longer stay in training camp, just like Xavier Borgo took a significant step forward from a year ago. Speaking of a significant step forward, Max Warner, uh, he's going to get signed. That's inevitable. Seventh-round draft choice, six-foot-three right-shot defenseman. You can never go wrong with right-shot centers and right-shot D. And... Uh, he had a pretty good showing, I think, last night at times. Looked a little bit, frankly, over like a 19-year-old kid out of junior playing against men. And they had, like I said, 12 NHL regulars in their lineup. But he had a good showing, and I fully expect him to get signed as well as the Oilers add to their trees on the back end. So there is that. All right. Um, a couple of things I just want to hit on here. Uh, shout out to uh, Golden Bears football coach Chris Morris and uh, his family. Now, they're going through a very difficult time right now, and um, Chris has done a, a good job uh, turning that program around. They've got an excellent quarterback, and uh, they've got a, a solid future. They had a tough game on Friday and uh, got some further information on just how tough it really was for everybody involved. So uh, best of luck for them. That's uh, it's going to be something that, uh, you know, you just you, you just you just hate to see. And uh, lots of families, unfortunately, have to go through what the Morrises are going through right now. And our hearts are with them on that front. When we come back, uh, we're going to ask you, where were you in 72? This is Oilers Now. And the Bernoye has it on that wing. Here's a shot. Henderson made a wild stab for spell. Here's another shot. you in 72 uh i know where i was uh brendan you weren't around for a long not while even close not even close <laughs> parents ever talked about it 1972 yeah uh, my mom was two my dad was four okay so i was six i was in grade one robert rundle elementary in st albert and like i believe at that time if i heard correctly about 60 percent of canadians watched the actual final game it was a very different world, right? Like we're in the middle of, well, <laughs> kind of at it again here. Uh, we have a different type of Cold War, one might assert. But uh, we're in the Cold War. Uh, people used to use terms like commies to describe Russians back then. Um, for I, I think that there was a, a learning lesson in terms of um, just how good the Russian players were especially Harlamov, who was wonderful and did not play in Game 8. But yeah, I watched it in Robert Rundle Elementary, and like, in fact, that was one of my first cognitive memories of hockey and getting pumped up and jacked up and becoming a huge hockey fan as a result of that. It was a spectacular moment. And we all... Uh, uh, 
you know, we were stoked. But I think that looking back at it now, you developed and there was there was. I mean, the Russians were a team. Canada was a, a group of squads in, in 72. Guys hated each other that played together. You know, the guys in Boston hated Montreal, as an example. And um, the the Canadians had won the 71 Stanley Cup, and they'd upset Boston in the playoffs that year. And then, and then the Bruins came back and won the Cup uh, in, in the spring of 72, uh, their second Stanley Cup. Probably should have won more based upon the fact that they had Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. Bobby Orr uh, was not available in 72. Bobby Hull uh, was uh, not available. And Canada ultimately found a way. I, I just I remember the Phil Esposito speech in Vancouver, the Vancouver fans booing Team Canada off the ice. And all I could think of years later going into Vancouver is says a bit about, like, seriously, and I mean this, they're, that's kind of... When I when I think of that city and I think of some of the stuff that's happened over the years there, that's you know let's just say it was really great that Canada won the gold medal in 2010, because their track record speaks for itself, as evidenced by '94 and uh, 2011. So bottom line is, it was a very different time in a lot of respect. I think respect was gained for the skill set of the Russian players, the coaching tactics. You still didn't have to like a lot about the way the you know the the Soviet the Soviet system worked at that time. Uh, now, they're no longer our biggest threat in international hockey. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, they are a threat once again politically, as we all know. So take it for what it's worth. But where were you? I'd like to know, like, I'll, I'll, I'll bang through some texts. You can text us on the Ashley Five Floors text line. Um, uh, this one comes to us from Walleye Bry. Oh, yes. Uh, Brian says, I was in grade five, and the fathers would not show up for the meeting, the teacher night, unless the school had TVs showing the game. Uh, Leonard says, I was in grade three in Churchbridge Elementary. They brought in the TV to the room. Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Steve says, Bob, we watched the game in school uh, at Turner Valley. Uh, there you go. And you can text us at 780-496-0063. Uh, IMAX said, can't help being disgusted with uh, Bobby Clark's golf swing and later Phil Espadil saying, I asked why he didn't break the ankle earlier. That one come Like Harlamov, the, the first game in Montreal, <laughs> the, goals he, the two goals he scored the opening game, like it was a shock to, to Canadians. And, and they'd gone and scouted Trechak, and they scouted him the day after he got married. And I guess he'd had a couple pops or something, and he wasn't very good. So, uh, turned out he was a pretty good goaltender. But just the way they they used you know five man units and attacked and built up and and frankly, Claire Drake was doing a little bit of that already at the University of Alberta in the early 1970s. And still, by the time the mid 70s came around, uh, none of the guys that were pro players on the Oilers and the WHA had any time for it. And Claire was gone after a year and went back to the U of A. Just probably 12 to 15 years ahead of his time from a technical uh, nuance perspective. All right. Uh, grade three in Smoky Lake School sat in the room with the lights off, and it was quiet as a church in there. Uh, Bob, please tell me you're not in support of uh, this left-leaning woke agenda. Where is this taking place? In Oakville. Is this the teacher thing? Yeah. Let's worry about the kids. Off to a global news weather traffic update with... Uh, Eileen Bell, and when we return on orders now, Frank Saravalli will join us from Daily Faceoff.